This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to XNO Quick Hits. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined by the host of TOJ Film Room over on our YouTube channel, Turn on the Jets TV. That is, of course, Mr. Joe Blewett. So, Joe, before we get into what we're going to talk about today, which is Ja'Kai Polite, congratulations, sir. You are now engaged. I don't know what to say other than I'm super happy for you. And I'm not quite as happy for your now fiance because I feel like she could have done better, let's be honest. But other than that, happy times in the Blewett household. <laughs> yeah, it was um really, really good time. I appreciate everybody reaching out on you know on Twitter. I put it out on Twitter and uh you know, I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this podcast were like uh, critiquing my form of when I was down on my knee and all this <laughs> stuff. But it was actually really good form. I can put a picture out there, really linear knees, really good weight distribution. So a lot of people commented on that. Uh, yeah, she's awesome. Like even the way home, we were driving through. You know what you know, Scott. Of that, uh, I think it was that Friday. It was uh-huh. just like a, a, a terrible, terrible storm with rain. We were driving through it. I couldn't hear on the radio because you know you don't. We don't have ESPN New York. You know when we were in Pennsylvania, and she's holding up the phone to my ear when the draft picks are announced. So she's a <laughs> she's a good one. Um, and she lives with my uh, all the film breakdowns and stuff I do. So uh, pretty lucky there. But glad to be back and uh, grinding the film, doing you know Jakai Plate now and then. I'll be doing Chuma Doga and Cashman and all these other guys, as you know, we were just talking about before we started recording. So I'm excited to get back into the uh, the grind. And you're blowing up going on all these other podcasts. You're going to be on with my friend Mike Lindsley on the ML Sports Platter. You're also going to be on with the C3 Panthers podcast. Those guys are a lot of fun. You're going to have fun with that because I was on with them the night of the draft, and we all had a blast laughing at the Giants taking Daniel Jones at number six overall because we have a mutual hatred for Dave Gettleman. Me because I hate the Giants, and them because they hate Dave Gettleman for ruining the Panthers. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a cherry on top of that night, and I'm. I know you've already told that story of uh, when I called you because I didn't have Wi-Fi and I'm walking back to the restaurant, like freaking out who's on the clock and whatnot. So I called you um, and figure out that the Quinn and Williams pick, I get back to the hotel or uh, a little bit after and I figure out that the Giants took uh, who they did in Daniel Jones and the Raiders took Cleveland Farrell at number four. It was, it was definitely the cherry on, on top of that night. So I'm very happy with the Giants. Did Good luck to them. That's for sure. I'll say this, Joe. If the Jets had traded down with the Raiders and the Raiders had jumped up taking Quinton Williams and the Jets had taken Cleveland Farrell at number four, <laughs> I don't think we'd be doing this podcast because we might have both just quit. No, I was next to a pretty good spot to jump off in Niagara Falls, so I wouldn't, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't have been back here doing that. You know how I feel about him. He was like 17th on my board. I wasn't really big on him. Like I said, pretty pretty high floor, but pretty low ceiling type player. So, uh, Cornell Williams versus Cleveland Farrell is not even not even a real discussion. Thankfully, though, the Jets got themselves not only Quinton Williams, but a guy that has a super high ceiling as a pass rusher. Talking, of course, about Ja'Kai Polite, the edge rusher out of Florida. I want to get mm-hmm. into the nitty gritty with you, Joe, on this. But first, I want to say this: the more I watch his tape again. The more I really think that, A, he's probably the second best pass rusher in this draft at this moment. Now, I think Allen will probably become better, certainly as a higher ceiling. But I think just in terms of overall technique, moves, all of that, you can make the argument that he's second or third. The other one would be Brian Burns. And to me, if you're putting him right there on that level with Brian Burns, who is picked 16th overall, that is incredible value in the third round. Yeah, before you know the whole combine thing happened, and I was doing my reviews, you know, pl- you know, well before the the combine, I knew that was going to happen. He was, you know, teetering right there on that third or fourth guy. 
I always had Josh Allen above him, but not because of college and what he did in college, but because of what he's projected to be. So I would agree that Burns and Polite were both rushers in college. But like I said, Allen still finished above those guys. Mm-hmm. And then Burns and Polite were really jockeying for that third position. I didn't really know who to put where. Um, but I think Polite did end up being my fourth. But even with being my fourth edge rusher in a really loaded edge rusher class, uh, to get him, you know, a guy who I thought would be a top 20 pick, you know, in the third round, the top of the third round, uh, is is awesome, obviously. And we're going to talk, I'm sure, about some of the character concerns, et cetera, about him. But uh, just what he is on film, he's a, you know, mid-round, uh, first-round type guy. And even in a draft uh, that had less, you know, edge talent, he would probably be even higher than that if he didn't have a Burns and an Allen and, like I said, a loaded edge rusher and defensive front class. He could have been even higher. So to get that guy in the third round, um, is really, really exciting. And you add him to this front seven, like we were talking about uh, a little bit before. Now you have Polite, and you have Q, and you have Leo, you have Steve McClendon, who I've always said is underrated, with Mosley, with Avery Williamson, <laughs> uh, and then having Jamal Adams on the back end, who will be blitzing plenty in the in the box, this front seven, uh, if all these players develop, and Greg Williams puts you know, together a good system to capitalize on all these guys' strengths. Uh, this front seven can be you know one of the top in the league. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. When I watch Ja'Kai Polite, I see a guy that has a whole bunch of pass rushing moves, who uses his hands well, who wins inside and outside, and who above all of that has a phenomenal first step, the type of explosion that you drool over in a pass rusher. Would you say that everything I just said is accurate? And if so, could you expand upon it a little bit? Nope. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, he has plenty of pass rush, and, and in terms of the burst, I, I, so th- him and Burns are kind of like similar in terms of like, okay, they're lighter guys who can get pushed up to the arc if they, you know, through their contact balance or, or their or their lack of contact balance while bending. Um, but I think in terms of burst, I, I think he does have the best burst in the class, and especially his secondary burst, where it's not just his first step, but his his second and third step. It it it's, it almost looks like he's playing a fast forward, where I think Burns has a little bit better bend and he has better arm length. So they're a little bit different, but in terms of just that burst, um, he he is tops in, in the class, at least out of the first round guys that I saw. And then you you 
put on top of that really good burst, you put the moves that he has, like you said, a um, variety of them from, from ice fix to cross chops to hesitation moves to clubs to swipes to, uh, you know, just his with his bend, with the long arm that he has, a swim. Uh, wrong, the, he does a wrong arm technique too, his cross chops. And he has the ability to win inside, which with speed is really, really important because if you can only win, you know, outside, guys will overset you. Um, and that's when you want to take advantage of the inside being open and that, you know, that big gap through that, through that B gap. Uh, but if you can't win inside, you don't know how to win inside. You can't take advantage of that. But with a guy who has that much speed, he's going to make you open your hips as quickly as he does because you have to account for that speed. Uh, the, the swim, uh, not the swim move, the, uh, the spin move he has inside is ridiculously fast and really, really tight and really well executed. And he also has the ability to, to just stop on a dime and then cut and cross chop and beat you right across your face inside. So, uh, that, that speed plus the ability to win on, win inside is how he's going to win in the NFL. I don't think he's ever going to be a, a power rusher, but there also are, are times where he can power rush you. There was a play. I just put it up. I forget exactly what team it was, but what he likes to do is he'll rush directly at you, and he'll which which you know forces the tackle to keep their hips square, and then he'll give you a head fake and a stab inside, which kind of freezes that that inside foot um, in your kick step. So then when you're going back outside to to react to outside when he bursts back outside, you have a wide and and straight up base, so you don't have you know good leverage or a good base, and he uh, he stuck one long arm you know, into the, well, he doesn't have long arms, it's a long arm technique, uh, into the right tackle, bowls him backwards. Uh, as he bowls him backwards, he stops on a dime, you know, cuts inside with a cross chop, which is a precautionary cross chop. It didn't even hit the, the uh, right tackle's left arm, but he just did it just in case the tackle was able to get his arm back inside to recover. Uh, and then he gets a hit on the quarterback, which I, I, I can't tell if it was a um, if it was a fumble or an inc- incompletion because of how close the quarterback was to moving the ball forward, but really, really impressive play. So he has a variety of moves. He, he can use speed to power. We should hope he developed that a little bit more um, to add to his arsenal as well. But like I said, having a ton of moves inside and outside with that speed um, is why he was looked at as one of the top rushers in the class before the you know, before the uh, the combine, and he still is on film, one of the best guys in the class. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Joe, we'll get to his weaknesses in a second, but first, I wanted to know what you think as far as what Greg Williams will likely do to try and utilize Mm -hmm. Ja'Kai Polite's positives to the absolute max. In other words, how do you see Greg Williams deploying Ja'Kai Polite? He's going to be on the line. He, he, he can drop a little bit into coverage. I wouldn't want him dropping into coverage, you know, a ton. But Greg Williams will have got, you know, edge rushers, whether it be Miles Garrett or, you know, one of his interior defensive linemen dropping into coverage. That's going to happen. You'll see Henry Anderson drop. You'll see Polite drop. You'll probably see Quinn and Williams drop every once in a while. So you'll see a tiny bit of that from him. But he's going to be strictly, you know, on the line from, from five technique to nine technique. And we've talked about this plenty of times, Scott, you know, talking about Greg Williams and certain guys fits in their scheme. And I've talked about it plenty saying that Greg Williams likes to have two wide nine techniques or even one to, to isolate those tackles on an island um, while also you know isolating the interior of the defensive or the offensive line you know with stunts. So he's going to be 
uh, primarily on the weak side. You're not going to want him on the on the strong side of a run, taking on you know a, a pulling guard or you know a, a pulling center, a pulling tackle, whatever it may be. If it's on if it's on counter or even a fullback, but um, if you have him on that weak if you have him on that weak side and he's rushing wide nine or even as a five uh, with his hand in the dirt or even standing up then he could be extremely effective because you're not going to double Drakai Polite. Maybe on a play or two if he develops into what we, we what we hope he can be. But if you're doubling or you're having extra attention to a wide nine, then that opens up the inside, you know, a lot. <laughs> Opening up the inside to Quinn and Williams and Leonard Williams. Uh, even though some people are down on Leonard Williams, but even if you think he's, you know, he's not a bad player, I think he's very solid at this point. I think he's right on that pro ball type level. And I think with, with Greg Williams more attacking defense, you'll see that more out of him and people be like, oh my God, he's so much better this year when, when failing to realize he's always been pretty good. It's just certain systems don't, um, you know, show as much on, you know, on the broadcast angle and what he's doing. But, uh, yeah, he's going to be wide now. He's going to be isolated against backside tackles. Uh, he also has the ability on the backside because of that speed, and he he plays his hair on fire. I'm sure people have seen, you know, plays of him chasing guys up the sideline, going the opposite way, 30 yards up the field, and making a tackle. So he has that speed um, and recognition. He actually has really good awareness and a lot better awareness than I thought he would have, um, you know, before I watched him. But he has awareness to 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 read plays really really well. Um, so he will be able to chase down and get, you know. Uh, tackles behind the line of scrimmage, even on the backside of runs. So he'll be using the backside wide nine, isolated versus tackles, and uh, I think he could definitely win a few of those matchups. Now, do I want him to be necessarily at you know, 230, 235, whatever he's playing at college? Um, no, I like to see him getting a little bit more weight, but I'm not substituting that weight for, I mean, that speed for power. So if he goes to 240, they, they notice they, uh, the burst is getting worse. I, I just have him play at that, that, that 235 XM to you know, be a strict pass rusher to send him on every single play. And I know we'll get into the running game in a little bit as well, but um, he can do that a little bit better than people think as well. So he'll, he'll make some plays, but uh, yeah, that's, that's how great ones will use him. Do you worry at all that his value would diminish a fair amount if he were playing in a four, three instead of a three, four? Um, well, not necessarily in a, in a base four, three, if, if you're playing, you know, um, if he's playing, you know, a, a five technique you know, strictly or, uh, if he's playing inside as like a four eye, then yes, because you don't want him at defensive end. And as a four three uh, outside linebacker, do you want him as the you know as the Sam in a in a four three over, where he's gonna be standing up and having to take on uh, you know pulling guards, you know tackles and fullbacks? Like I said, no, not necessarily. But also with Greg Williams four three, as I pointed out many times, he he'll be strictly that wide nine. I'm on the back side. I don't think he's gonna put him on the strong side. And a wide nine defensive end. Is is pretty much the same thing as an outside linebacker. You you can you can rush a wide you can rush Jordan Jenkins from wide nine or you can rush Miles Garrett. It's it's the same. You're doing the same thing. So um, it's not like four three. Okay, he has to be, you know, as a as a five or a four eye taking on tackles and guards on the on the strong side. He could still be a wide nine on the back side or even the front side of a of a run. So um, do I want him necessarily in the, in, the, in a in a strict four three? You know, base like I said, four three over, four three under. Um, no, that's not what's going to happen with Greg Williams' defense. Like I said, he he does like to push those guys out really far to, to isolate. So uh, he'll be fine. He'll make a, he'll he'll make them fit. If you can't make a speed a true true speed rusher um, fit or not, I'm not going to say speed rusher. I feel like that, that diminishes diminishes his value. This speed rusher can win in different ways. Um, so he's a rusher with a ton of moves who has elite speed. You know, so he'll he'll be able to find a way to use them. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint 
unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Let's talk about some of his weaknesses, and I think a lot of it has to do with the run game, and that is a byproduct of his size because, Joe, this is one thing that you and I were both concerned about with Brian Burns. We both think Burns can be a really good player, but playing at 230-235, it's going to be pretty difficult to do that in the NFL and not be used situationally. Also going to be tough to be able to play the run well when you're going up against guys that are so much bigger. So tell me a little bit about some of the weaknesses you found with Kai Polite, and I know that a lot of them have to do with the running game. Yeah, and it's it's a kind of so I think he's actually better in the run game than than Brian Burns. That's my personal opinion because Brian Burns has a tendency, like I said before, when we did his podcast uh, or we wrapped up all the all the draft prospects, he has a tendency to to overset gaps where he'll go too far, you know, up the field or too wide, and then open up a big gap in that in that B gap, D gap, whatever it may be. Um, but Kai Polite, the weaknesses really come from from that size, and that's really it. But he makes plays in the run game. I just put up plays of him um, in the run game where he is on the front side. I believe it was a QB counter um, where he had a pulling guard coming right at him. And earlier in that game on the same counter, I don't know if it was a QB counter or a running back uh, counter, but he wrong arms them where basically if you're pulling and they're trying to kick you out, you're just going to attack the inside arm. Um, so he did, he did the wrong arm technique in the beginning of the game, shot that gap and, and made the tackle on the quarterback or the running back. And then later in that same game, he, he, he fakes the wrong arm technique where he sees the guard coming as he's diagnosing, he's shuffling laterally to read the play. Um, Cause they, they did some kind of fake motion with it as well. He fakes the, 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 uh, the wrong arm technique. So the guard reacts to it and then he shoots back outside and is able to make a diving tackle on the quarterback. So he actually makes plays in the run game. He plays with good leverage. He gets his hands on the side. He gets good extension. Uh, obviously if you've watched him play at all, you know, he's super, super aggressive. He doesn't take really play any plays off. So um, he actually makes plays. He has good awareness. He can he can read guards. He can read pullers. Um, but most of those problems will come from from the side. It's not really a mental thing or a lack of aggression thing or technique type thing. So I think he will be able to make you know plays in the run game. Do I think he's going to be awful? Where you're going to you know absolutely have to take him out on all running situations? Um, no, I I do not think that because I think for all the plays that are. You know he's on, let's say the the weak side, and they run they run a weak side inside zone, whatever it may be, for all those plays that he might not make because of those sides, because that tackle gets his hands on him. Uh, I think he'll make up for that. You know, chasing guys down the backside, or or knifing through an interior gap, or wrong arming a guard, or fake wrong arming, uh, you know, a guard and using his lateral agility to get around. So. Uh, I think they're a little bit overstated, but I think it's strictly size. When you see a guy like, like you know, like I said, 230, 235, is he going to make as much plays as he did in the run game as he did at Florida? Um, no, but I still don't think it's going to be a situation where, okay, you have to take him out on all running situations. He can't make plays in the run game. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. One thing that I noticed with Ja'Kai Polite that was interesting, too, is a lot of people will talk about certain players dominating inferior competition. You heard a lot about this with Quinn and Williams, which I thought was ridiculous because he plays in the SEC. But what you would hear is, oh, he dominated some scrub guard from some scrub school that they beat by 40 points. 
With Ja'Kai Polite, obviously people could say the same stuff if they wanted to without looking because he played at Florida, so there were going to be some cream puffs on the schedule, but still, he's in the SEC, arguably the best conference in college football. If you look at the body of work he put together, not only was it strong, but it was pretty evenly distributed. There are very few games that you could watch and not see Ja'Kai Polite being a major factor, whether it was a bad team or a good team. Yeah, you saw him play teams like, you know, LSU and, and Georgia, you know, and Florida State and even like South Carolina. Now, did he play teams like, you know, Charleston Southern and Kentucky and Vanderbilt and Colorado State? Yes, but it's not like – so I have a worry with those guys if they don't dominate the smaller competition. He dominated the smaller competition. If you were going to just play, you know, average versus a team like Kentucky or Vanderbilt, then, yeah, I get a little concerned. But with those teams, you really want to look out. Uh, if they're standing out on you know many many reps of that game, which he did, and if he went in those games and dominated the smaller schools, and he played teams like LSU and Georgia, and he didn't play as well, then I would be concerned. But he made plenty of plays versus LSU and Georgia, so um, I don't. I'm not concerned about him playing just strictly small schools where a guy like Ed Oliver didn't really play any other big schools, and it was a lot of teams like Rice and Army or Navy or whatever it was, and he didn't really play a lot of top competition. So it's not like you kind of play just play the, the smaller schools, and you can't project him versus the you know bigger SEC type teams. Absolutely destroyed LSU and Florida State. My friend Nate still has nightmares over that because he's a Florida State alum, and that was why he wanted Ja'Kai Polite because he was joking with me before the draft. I'd rather have him on our side than have to watch him kill Sam Darnold for the next 10 years. But if he's going to be able to do that, if he's going to be able to be that star pass rusher that we think he has the possibility to be, he's going to have to overcome these character concerns. Now, for the most part, from what we understand... It was because of these interviews that happened at the Combine. It was because of a poor workout. He got a reputation as being lazy, maybe being unmotivated, maybe being a little on the foolish side. However, when you watch his tape, if he's lazy, I'm not seeing it because every single time I watch him, his motor is churning, churning, churning. So between that and the fact that I haven't heard a bad word leak from any of his coaches or anybody that he's ever played with as a teammate... I think the risk here is a lot less than people seem to believe because I understand that you get a little bit nervous when stuff like that happens. But for me, he's a 21-year-old kid who probably got overwhelmed by the process. If you look at the way that he played and the relationships that he had with the key people around him throughout his football career, I don't think it's that much to be super concerned about. Am I crazy? Yeah, no, we were just talking about it. It's, you know, it's not like he, you know, got into domestic violence situations with women or roommates or whatever it may be. He didn't fail drug tests. He didn't quit on the team. He didn't walk out. Uh, he didn't give a lack of effort. It's, it's a 21 year old kid who screwed up some interviews. He wasn't great in them. They asked him probably some questions that ruffled his feathers a little bit. He didn't know how to respond to, which should he? Yeah, for sure. Should his agent have have trained him better to answer these type of questions? Uh, definitely. <laughs> like, uh, so I don't know what his agent was doing. If his, his agent got fired, but is it something that we just shouldn't be concerned over at all? Um, not only is necessarily that either, because I I have heard some stuff. He might be a little bit nutty at times, but you know who doesn't really like a nutty pass rusher? <laughs> Those are the guys <laughs> who, who, uh, who who dominate in the league. So you know, I, I think I think coming into a locker room, honestly, with guys from Florida on the team, with guys like Jamal Adams and and uh, C.J. Mosley in there with a guy like Greg Williams to motivate him. I think he'll round out. I, I think that he's being a dumb 21-year-old kid who didn't know how to interview very well um, and ruffled some teams like the uh, the Packers' feathers the, the wrong way, and that's why he dropped. Plus, on top of 
coming to the combine. Now, apparently, and I can't, I'm not a doctor, and I don't know if it truly affected him, but there was, uh, I don't know if it was lip service trying to clear, uh, you know, clean up of how bad his combine was with, you know, the fact that he had a hamstring injury during, during it, but he wanted to just run because, you know, wanted to show teams how tough he was. You know, you know, he obviously you could say that, but he did, really, did he really have the injury? We're not too sure. But we know that he puffed up to, like, it was like 258. I could be wrong um, on those on, the, on that number, but it was somewhere you know it was 255 plus um, when he was playing in college at that you know 230 235 you know ish range. So he gained another 20 to 30 pounds, um, which is why he ran you know a, a 483 487 you know whatever it was. Where on film he looks like he'd be a guy who runs you know a, a low four five. I would say he was absolutely incredible in terms of speed on on tape. So if the Jets could you know, hopefully get him with a dietitian, nutritionist, whatever it may be, um, at the NFL le- you know, level, get him down to that weight again. But, you know, maybe instead of, like I said, playing at 230, 235, maybe puff him up to, you know, 240, maybe 245 of muscle. There's guys who are successful at 240, 245 in the NFL, especially if you have that much speed as he does. So um, I don't think it's a huge concern. Like I said, it's nothing like he was, you know, beating his children. He's not Tyreek Hill or anything like this, you know. <laughs> so... Um, it, it's a slight concern. That's why he dropped in the NFL. It's, a, it's such a, uh, or the NFL draft, it's such a like, sensitive type thing where got, where teams are, you know, anything will really drop you. So I'm definitely happy they got him in the third. I know you were clamoring for, for Williams and Poyet, so I know you're happy. Um, I'm happy, and now people can't really complain if, if you know, uh, okay, Quinn Williams dominate the inside, and now, you know, you leave Poyet on the edge, you know, un- not unblocked, but single team. Now he starts dominating and teams don't really know who, who to double team because you have all the guys I was talking about, uh, even with Avery Williamson, who is an underrated blitzer. And I've heard some people say that CJ Moses is a good blitzer and that's one of his best things in his game. I don't know what you're watching. Uh, that actually is probably his biggest weakness in his game. But the Jets are going to generate a, a plenty of pressure. And I'm, I'm happy he dropped uh, to the third round for sure for the, you know, for the Jets to take. I keep hearing people referring to him as boom or bust, and don't get me wrong, it's possible that the character concerns end mm-hmm. up overtaking him, but I think the odds are relatively small considering everything else that we know about him, and I think that boom or bust is something that should be used for a player like Rashawn Gary, or even Devin White, who don't get me wrong, is super talented, but as we've talked about, Joe, has a really high ceiling and a really low floor. I don't really see that with Polite. You wouldn't refer mm-hmm. to him as a boom or bust, would you? Now, like I said, if, if it was more of the, the character concerns, you're, that's why you're labeling him a boomer or a bust. Like, I, I get that a little bit from like, but from on the field type play, um, I don't really see that you know at all because it's not like a guy like you said, Rashawn Gary or Devin White, who consistently show just you know whether it be mental lapses or just the uh, kind of the ability or yeah, I guess I, I guess I would say the ability to just win just with speed, athleticism, power and not really technique or awareness, then, yeah, I'm more worried. Um, but like I said, when you have a variety of pass rush moves, when you, when you have that speed, when you have that aggression, I don't see him ever being a guy who, you know, is flaming out and gets cut, you know, in his, in his second or third year if he's not making any plays, you know, unless those character concerns are much bigger than, uh, you know, you or I have heard. And I know you're, you talked to pretty, you know, you talked to a lot of people who are pretty well connected, but, from a film aspect, uh, I don't see him being a boomer bust guy, like I said, because he possesses that that awareness, that that technique, a variety of different moves. So um, I see him being relatively successful. Now, am I saying he's going to get 10 sacks as we're here? No, not necessarily. Uh, people have to develop sometimes, especially him being, you know, 21 years old. So, you know, maybe his first year he gets five or six or seven, and people look at it as a huge dis- disappointment. Like, I, I, I would understand that, especially him being a third-round pick. But I especially... 
or I, I see him being a guy who could easily, if you if you clean up, obviously there's some technique. You know, you like to see him get stronger at the point of attack in the run game. Let's see him, um, you know, develop some more uh, speed to power, like I was talking about the long arm. I mean, I mean the the lack of uh, length in his arms. I believe they're a little bit over 32 inches. Is going to hurt him, you know, at times. But that's all stuff that can be developed or kind of masked in his game with uh, with. Uh, you know, good defensive line coach, out, outside linebacker coach. So uh, through the film, I think he's a pretty safe type player. Joe, for my own amusement and for yours too, because we were talking about this before we started recording and we both agreed that the Jets front seven has the potential to be incredibly exciting starting uh-huh. this season. Tell me what you think Greg Williams is going to do in terms of how he's going to deploy these different weapons because we know that he's added three guys that could have a major impact on this front seven. One of them, of course, is Quinton Williams, who's picked third overall. Another, Ja'Kai Polite, pick number 68, who we've been talking about. And also, C.J. Mosley, the inside linebacker, multiple-time Pro Bowler from the Baltimore Ravens. So talk to me about how you see that front seven being used, and specifically, if you can, how do you see Ja'Kai Polite playing off of those other pieces that Greg Williams has at his disposal? Yeah, well, with the with the interior of the of the you know defensive line and the linebackers, like I said before, whether it be three four four three, you know, can we talk about different positions? Whether it be like the Jack Will, you know, Sam Mike, and and three four four three, we could talk about that all day. But just in terms of philosophy, like I said, I think there's gonna be a ton of of stunts in the, in the interior um, with guys like Henry Anderson, who is an underrated stunter, which is something that really haven't people haven't talked about, but his long limbs and his ability to long leg. Uh, which is basically just covering multiple gaps with one step and, and pulling guards or pulling centers into guards or guards into centers or tackles into guards, whatever it may be. So I see him, uh, you know, looping a lot and, and eating up a lot of space while you have guys like uh, Quinn Williams, Leonard Williams, you know, uh, looping around or, you know, the secondary part of those stunts to uh, get those one-on-one type situations, even if they're not stunting and looping and doing all these things and exchanges. I just see a lot of uh, penetrating one gapping. Now, are there going to be some situations where they two gap? Yeah, that's uh, that that's for sure. Um, but I think even if, like I said, four, three, four, four, three, they're going to be uh, penetrating a ton because you know you can change the okay. Is there four down linemen to three with four linebackers instead of three? Yes, that's that's not you know too difficult. But to completely change your philosophy from okay, we're we're an attacking you know, four, three, one gapping with a lot of gap exchange and stunting to just going to, okay, we're going to be a two gapping three, four. I don't, I really severely doubt it's going to happen. And people automatically, you know, hear, okay, three, four, Quinton Williams can't fit in the three, four because they're going to be two gapping. That's not what Greg Williams is going to do. I can almost guarantee it. So you're going to see a lot of that in the interior with Henry, uh, with Henry Anderson, with Leo and with Q, both, you know, one gapping, uh, exchanging and stunting. And then, like I said, uh, I don't really think they have the the necessary you know other side in terms of like the the other nine techs. So you'd see, um, you know, with the uh, Browns, Miles Garrett, and then somebody opposite of him as another nine. Like I said, isolating. But I still think you're going to see a lot of um, Jukai Polite as a wide nine isolating that, whether it be a right tackle um, or a left tackle. So I think that you're going to see him use a lot. Like I said, on the backside of runs, whether it be as a three four Jack or you know a four three. Um, and who just split out, you know, a little bit wider than five, probably uh, seven to nine, like I said before. 
and then you're gonna have a, you're gonna have a lot of uh, Avery Williamson blitzing. I, I think I think Mosley's gonna be more read and react type guy. Uh, Avery Williamson's a guy who is super stout, super tough guy, and he's really good at blitzing because of his physicality and the the fact that he can just get under offensive linemen's pads and blow them up. Where CJ Mosley is not a great blitzer. Um, he has the the athleticism to do it if he's clean, but if he has to take on offensive linemen uh, while trying to penetrate gaps, he's not great at that because in the second level. When he's getting off of blocks, it's more athleticism, hand placement, and lateral mobility that he uses. It's not really just pure power, even though he does have some power. So I think you're going to see Avery Williamson blitzing a lot. You're going to see um, you're going to see CJ Mosley more reading, react on what he's going to be the mic. He's going to be on. He's going to be you know in a position where he can make plays on the weak side or the strong side. I think uh, you're going to have Avery Williamson, whether it be three, four, four, three. I think he's going to be more um, on that strong side, blowing up, you know, pulling guards or blowing up. Uh, you know, H-backs or full-backs who are trying to take him on in power, whatever it may be. Um, and then, obviously, with the with the back end, you have Jamal Adams in the box as well. So you're going to see plenty of defenses from from four two fives to to three three fives. You're going to see a ton of different looks. There's looks that he had two two down defensive linemen. He had one down defensive lineman. You're going to see radar defenses where you have nobody down before the before the snap. You're going to see plenty of stuff from Greg Williams. It's not a defense where I can just say. Okay, well, it's going to be a three-four. He's going to be two gapping. He's going to be one gapping. He's going to be one gapping. He's going to be two gapping because Greg Williams did so much of everything with moving guys around, with having Miles Garrett, you know, as a one technique, a three technique, a five, a wide nine, dropping in the coverage. You're going to see um, a blur. There are some plays that you know me and me and Marcus pulled up. I literally need a chart to to show it to to people. But there's plays that don't even look like they make sense. But then you really think about it, it makes sense. So. Uh, it's going to be really, really exciting for for this defense. It's going to be super multiple, um, and it's going to be really, really fun fun to watch. And I just know it's going to be uh, filled with aggressive dudes, and there's going to be a lot of pressure on quarterbacks. So it's going to put a little bit of pressure on, on the back end, but I see a lot of zone looks in, in Greg Williams' defense, whether it be uh, cover two or cover three, whether it be Tampa, um, Tampa two, or just a basic cover three. You can always throw in different things, cover three replacement, cover three cloud, cover three uh, buzz, whatever you want to do, but you're going to see cover two, cover three a lot, a lot of zone-type blitzing, I, I believe. He does mix in some cover ones um, as well with his blitzes, but I'm just hoping with those blitzes we're not pl- – you know, it's not a Todd Bowles blitz where it's third and four and you're playing Tremaine Johnson 15 yards off, so you just throw a, a four-yard hitch to the, to the wide receiver <laughs> and just completely negate what you were trying to do. Um, but it's going to be really, really exciting. And now if the Jets can – you know, potentially find another corner, whether that be, you know, Morris Claiborne, Ed, him, and he's, you know, is he is he a good number? I remember his first year, Scott, and he was a guy who everybody was like, oh, one of the top press corners in the league. I thought that was a little bit ridiculous. I thought, still thought he's a pretty bad number one, but do I still think he has the ability to be a, a decent number two? Um, yes, and that's more than I can say for a guy like Dow Roberts at this point. So I'm hoping they had Claiborne, you know, maybe another backup safety, but this defense, if it's coached well, if the players execute, if you obviously have to hope for no injuries, I don't see how you can't, you know, see the potential for this defense easily being a top 10 defense in the league. It's going to be really, really exciting to watch. Joe, last order of business. We already know now that you think that the defense is going to be a top 10 defense, barring injury, of course. Four more predictions I want to ask you about. I'm (laughs) curious to get your take on these, so I'll go slow because, like I said, there's four of them. Number one, what do you see Ja'Kai Polite doing year one in terms of production? Number two, what will Ja'Kai Polite's optimal playing weight be at the NFL level? Number three, how many sacks will the Jets' defense get in 2019? And number four, who will be the biggest beneficiary 
of all the changes on the defense. In other words, if you look at the players that were on the Jets' defense last year that are now going to be playing with C.J. Mosley, Quinnen Williams, and Ja'Kai Polite, who do you see benefiting the most? That's that's a that's a tough. Okay, so Jakai Polite production. You know, I hate predictions. So you're, I, I see you're taking you're taking a little bit of jabs. You know, me coming back, not being on a podcast for a week and a half. It is okay. So <laughs> um, production to say like we'll say sixty five tackles, um, eight and a half sacks for Mister Jakai Polite, um, which will be a good year. Um, for him, in, in my mind, getting a rookie year as a third-round pick, you're getting eight and a half sacks, and hopefully seeing that, you know, bubble up to you know ten, eleven, twelve the next year. So I'll, I'll give him eight and a half sacks. Will it be the sack leader? I don't know, but you know, off the top of my head, that's just what I'm thinking for whatever random reason. Um, his ideal weight, uh, I'm going to go because I said two forty or two forty-five, and especially because he's going to be like that wide nine rusher, like I was saying before, um, in Greg Williams' defense. I, I'm going to say like. 242. Um, he gain another, like, like I said, 10 pounds from what he did in college. I think the Jets will see that he could, he'll add a, a healthy, you know, 10 to 12 pounds of muscle instead of the potential fat that he gained um, at the NFL, where he said he didn't look that athletic and he looked like he was low, not, not like a low thing, but just a lot slower. And maybe that was due to him trying to bulk up in the wrong way. So I think with a dietitian, you know, 242, he'll be able to keep that speed. So eight and a half sacks, like 50 something tackles. Um, 242 he'll be playing at. Um, now the third question was sacks for the Jets defense in total. I think like teams with a total sacks, if they get like 50, that's like a really, really good number. Um, I would say, and factoring in that the Jets were going to one gap a lot and do a lot of stunts and twists and a lot of exchanges. I think they're going to get a lot of sacks, but I think the secondary um, especially the corners and some of the players they have not being great. I think it's going to limit it a little bit from being like a 50 sack team to let's say uh, 40, 44 sacks um, for the Jets defense. And then the biggest beneficiary of uh, just, I guess, everything in general happening this off season. That's a really tough one because there's two guys who I, who I really, really think of, especially coming from last year. Uh, Leonard Williams is an easy answer. He's not going to see as much double team. Same thing for Henry Anderson. Henry Anderson saw plenty of double teams too. So those guys on the interior, so I'm kind of cheating and like saying I'm kind of deciding between these guys and giving reasons instead of saying one. <laughs> so I'm always <laughs> cheating. But um, both those guys for sure. And then Jamal Adams too. Uh, you're not going to be able to focus on this guy. You're not going to be able to send double teams at him or really have it, too much of an eye on him because you have guys like Quinn Williams and C.J. Mosley. Um, but he's more in the secondary, so he's going to make plays regardless. I'm, I'm going to say Leo Williams, um, just in terms of his production plus his uh, the, the the fans' view of him. I think you know him jumping up a couple more sacks, making more plays because of the more, like I said, the the attacking type defense that he's going to be um, deployed in under Greg Williams plus the talent around him. Uh, I think you're going to see a big jump uh, or uptick in production plus a big, uh, you know, fans are going to be like, oh, my God, Leonard Williams, we got to resign him, you know, instead of this year, trade him for a fifth. Like, you know, it's like <laughs> crazy how stuff goes like that. But, uh, yeah, I guess those are my answers. I hope I'm, I'm going to write those down and then uh, we'll see how close I am towards the end of the season. Obviously, a lot can change, um, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. 
I'm going to write these down too so that we have a record of it. I will say I have a slightly different answer than you. I think Leonard Williams is a great answer and he's a very likely candidate for this, but I actually think Jordan Jenkins could benefit quite a bit just because he's going to have those two nasty guys up front in Leonard Williams and Quinn and Williams together, plus teams are going to have to focus on Ja'Kai Polite and his burst, so Jenkins might be able to sneak in there a little bit. And Joe, as you've documented from watching the film Uh and talking about this on your show, Jenkins improved quite a bit last year. I know that some people will say that some of the sacks were lucky, but if you look at his actual technique and improved significantly, I think a lot of that has to do with the work that he did with Chuck Smith, who is the longtime sack master with the Atlanta Falcons and who has done terrific work with a lot of young pass rushers. So we'll see, but I think Jordan Jenkins could benefit significantly from the addition of those three key pieces on the defense. And it'll come at a good time for him because he's about to be a free agent, so it'll get him paid. He'll be very happy that the Jets drafted Ja'Kai Polite and Quinton Williams, and I think we all will be. Joe, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Can't wait to see your full film breakdowns on these prospects, especially the ones that you haven't touched on yet. Guys like Adoga, guys like Cashman, can't wait to see how you break down the film on them. For those that don't know where to find you or where to watch your great work, why don't you go ahead and let them know? Yeah, I'm sure since you do like 30,000 episodes a week that will fit in some uh, reviews. We'll do the the Jets rest of the draft, whatever, you'll, you know, whatever a title you'll put that will do the, the rest of those guys and some undrafted guys too. Uh, I just figured out that I'm going to actually have a good two, three, four, five games of those guys to watch. So I'm excited for some of the undrafted guys as well. Um, but yeah, uh, Twitter, it's JoeRB31. YouTube, just type in Turn on the Jets. You'll, you'll see the TOJ film logo there. Uh, and on the podcast app, if you don't have time to watch on YouTube, you can always listen to it. It's just a podcast just like this one. Uh, just TOJ space film, space room. Um, have reviews coming on all of the drafted guys. If I can get film on the guy you know from Rutgers who played uh, what, like two and a half games, <laughs> whatever it was, but we'll see, we'll see about that. Uh, we'll have some reviews of undrafted guys. I still have reviews coming of uh, Osemele, Brian Poole, uh, working on a little project in the, uh, for the, for the summer months when it's really, really boring. So, um, a lot more coming. We're going to have you covered in terms of film, uh, because the film just never ends all the way, you know, until August when the Jets are playing preseason games and regular season games. And that's when we'll be breaking down, you know, each and every game. So it's going to be some fun. And then Marcus Coleman comes back, obviously. You know, I'm not just breaking down film by myself all the time. I have been recently because he's the head coach and general manager of a uh, arena league team. But he's going to join me in a, in a couple of months again. Uh, you know, you know, frequently, and I'll be breaking down tape of a guy who legitimately played defensive back in the NFL for 11 years. So it's definitely a fun show. You should definitely check it out if you haven't yet. Absolutely, go ahead and follow Joe at JoeRB31. Watch all his videos, not only on his Twitter, but obviously the full reviews up on our YouTube channel, Turn On The Jets TV. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn On The Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.